Hey, thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we're located across Coolangatta, Brisbane, and Rabina. And we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in a series we've titled Rhythms. And isn't it true that we all structure our lives in one way or another? And those rhythms we adopt, those habits we entertain are not just things that we do, but are all things that do something to us. In this series, we will be asking the question, who are you becoming? And together, we'll explore how our spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines can lead us to become more like Jesus. We pray that this message is a blessing. This reading is from Luke 5.16, and it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Hey, friends, how are you going this afternoon? Very good. Man, summer's nearly done. You can keep wearing long short, long pants. Gosh, how good is this? I'm straight into mixing up my words. My name's Alex. I'm the pastor here at New Life Brisbane, and I could not do what I do if it wasn't for the wonderful team alongside whom I sit and the team of people who care so much about the mission God's given us that they would give of their Sunday afternoon, in this case, Mitch and Kristen, uh, to help people get to know us as a church. And so, uh, yeah, when they say we wouldn't be able to do what we do as a church without our praying, serving, or giving, I just want to celebrate them for how they model that so well. So can we just encourage them and our church for the way we carry the mission God's given us? If I was to give you a name, I'm sure you will have all heard of her, um, the name Mother Teresa. Anyone not heard of the name Mother Teresa? (laughs) Don't raise your hand, could be embarrassing. (laughs) We all know the name Mother Teresa. Uh, She did ministry to the last, the lost, and the least in Calcutta. Uh, She has an incredible life of prayer, and you might call her sort of a spiritual master in the way of Jesus. And she said wonderful things like, don't do great things, but do small things with great love repeatedly if you want to change the world. That feels right, doesn't it? feels good. If you've lived in relationship, you'll know that that actually would be quite powerful to bring transformation into the world that we live in. But one thing that happened in the life that she lived, she died around 1990. She was being interviewed in America on a talk show or a news broadcasting station, can't remember which one, and they inquired about her prayer life. And the talk show host asked her, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, oh, I don't talk, I just listen. And he's like, okay, no worries, I'll, I'll take the bait. So he follows up with a second question. What does God say? And she says, oh, he doesn't talk, he just listens. And then she said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. And in following up with that line, she's sort of painting a picture that there's this mysterious encounter we can have with God that if you try and capture it with words, if you try and write a how-to, if you try and sort of film a crash course on YouTube so everyone and everyone can kind of just stumble their way through it, it'd actually be impossible that, that there's this kind of encounter you can have with God that's beyond words. Mystery. And I think hearing that as someone who loves the Bible, loves the Word of God, has been formed and shaped by incredible theologians, both face-to-face and through you know, them being dead and me reading their stuff, I, 
I hear that and think, oh man, I crave that. Because I, like many of you sitting here, would be able to say I know a fair amount about God. But there's this craving I've got in my heart for this, this other, this divine being, this infinite and majestic God that the writers of Scripture seem to be able to talk about and give glimpses and windows into, but so often I just domesticate with my routine and my habits and my expectation. There's multiple kinds of prayer. Prayer can look like intercession and petition, asking of God. It can look like lament, which we'll do on Thursday, Australia Day. I'm about to pray myself that this microphone doesn't jump out again. It can look like confession, admitting sin to God. It can look like meditation and listening, which is hearing from God. But Mother Teresa, she was a master at something on top of all those things. And I want to call it contemplation, being with God. And that kind of prayer, I think, as educated Christians in the West, actually escapes us. We've been going through a teaching series called Rhythms, and it's how we start each of our year, and we get us to sort of focus on the habits, the calendars we keep, the spiritual disciplines we entertain, all as we apprentice under the way of Jesus so that we might become the kinds of people Jesus would be if he were us. That's what we've been doing. First week, we looked at the big picture of discipleship, and we cast vision for the resource that you'll find in the foyer called the Rule of Life booklet. And the idea is you can think through who you might be becoming this year in intentional ways. And the basic point is this, that transformation and change, it's possible but not inevitable, and Jesus invites us by the Spirit to partner with him in who we're becoming, because who we're becoming is the most important thing about us, week one. Week two, David came and spoke on the, on the rhythm of service, and he said service, both outside the church and inside the church, means engaging sustainable habits of care. And I love what he did. He sort of cast this beautiful picture that we can become like Jesus in serving the least of people. And that the most authentic way to do that is not limiting it to the four walls of the church, but also not excluding it from the four walls of the church. You know what I mean? And I think we find ourselves often on different ends of the spectrum when it comes to serving in the life of following Jesus. And this week I'm talking about the rhythms of silence and solitude. Language that other Christians have given to this would be the secret place or the quiet place, not the movie, but the sort of thing we engage in the early hours of the morning. Like if you've got a Baptist background and you're a good kid growing up, you would have been told about a quiet time. I had that when I first came to faith you know, as a teenager. But silence and solitude, and I wanna look at two things. I wanna look at Jesus's rhythm of silence and solitude and our need for silence and solitude. And before I get into the sermon, I actually just wanna make a little caveat at the very front, which is this, that this practice, this habit, this discipline, it's been dynamite in my relationship with God. Not just because it's helped me posture myself in a way that begets the kind of life Jesus would have for me, but actually because it's made me available in that posture to the kind of miraculous, not mundane things that the Spirit of God wants to do in each of our lives. And as we've been exploring this, we've been working with one assumption, and it's this, that God works something into us in salvation. We call it the Holy Spirit. And our task as followers of Jesus, responding to grace, is to work out our salvation, to actually embody with practices and habits the life that Jesus would have for us. One writer put it like this. I can't remember who said it, but um, he said, if you want to adopt the life of Jesus, the life to the full, the John 10.10, 10, 
you, you should probably apprentice in the lifestyle of Jesus, that all we do would shape us to become who he would be if he were us. So Jesus' rhythms and our needs. Sound okay? Wicked. We're gonna get practical this afternoon too, and you know, it's, it's really tempting for me to just feel lonely up here. And so if you hear something, you're like, oh man, that's a great point. Look, I like encouragement. It's nice. So if you feel like there's something resonating in your spirit, as you hear like a particular point unpacked, man, I actually just encourage you. We're trying to cultivate what it would look like for the people of God to be released, not just superstar Christians up the front sort of saying some words. And so if there's a moment you want to say, hey, testify, brother, you know, amen, that's entirely appropriate, inc- incredibly okay. Um, but let me pray and then we'll jump into Jesus' rhythm of silence and solitude, which with all the voices might be hard for us this afternoon. Let's pray. Father, we just still ourselves knowing that in stillness you minister something to us that would otherwise be unavailable. Father, many of us walked into here this afternoon like a big cup of river water, murky and dusty. And I pray, Lord, by your spirit, would you just take the distractions and the noise and like the sediment in a glass, just sift it to the bottom. We don't want to just hear about another thing to tick off our list as we begin the new year. Lord, we want to entertain the possibility that you might speak and that we'd change and that would be joy to us, glory to you, and blessing to the world. If we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 First test, amen, you passed. Good job, friends. Jesus' rhythms. Here's the thing I've discovered about Jesus. He knew the importance of regularly getting alone with God. Do you know that? Jesus knew the importance of regularly getting alone with God. And that's important for two reasons. One, it paints us a model. And two, it sort of exacerbates and amplifies why that model's relevant. Because if anyone needed to escape the necessity of rhythms, it was Jesus, Son of God, God in flesh, the maker of heaven and earth, all access to God by the Spirit. Yet he knew that for him to become the person God was calling him to become, which climaxed in the cross, selfless love, he, got, he had to get away with God. Let me rattle off some examples for you. Mark 1:35. very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Before coffee, I reckon, right? Did they have coffee in the ancient world? Who knows? Maybe in Ethiopia. <laughs> Left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 6, 46, after leaving them, that is the disciples, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Luke 6, 12, Jesus is about to choose his 12 apostles and knowing the significance of the weight of spiritual authority that they they would carry, what's he do? He gets up early in the morning and overnight sort of just prays. He spends time with God. Before the Mount of Transfiguration, this glorious demonstration that Jesus is the one who he said he was, met with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Imagery you'd sort of would echo from the Old Testament, right? God meets his people on the mountain. He does something special, reveals something about himself. Before that moment, Jesus went away and prayed. Another example is before he taught the Lord's Prayer. And I love this, Luke 11, verse one. He goes away and he prays. And after he prays, here's, here's what's most probably the case historically. The disciples saw something in his prayer life. And in response to that, said, hey, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Or lastly, in um, Luke, Luke 9, verse 12, 
just before Peter's confession, Jesus goes up and he says, hey, what are people saying about me? I've shown you who I am, I've done some ministry, I've done some cool stuff, and what are people, like, what's the word on the street? What identity are people giving to me? And Peter says, oh, I th- you, you know, others are saying this, maybe a prophet, dot, dot, dot. And then Jesus says, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, oh, you're the Messiah, the chosen one, the, lo- the one that we've long waited for. And then in response, it's either in this gospel or Mark's gospel, when Jesus says something like, blessed are you, Simon Bar, Peter, Simon, son of Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Here's the question. Do you think Jesus' prayer life had anything to do with that? Jesus knew his need to regularly get away with God. But the verse we had read before, which felt, I don't know if I can say this, felt like a bit of a power move, having a short verse, like, up front. Anyone feel that? Everyone's like, where's the rest of the, the scripture? And I was like, oh, there's some in here, you know, we'll, we'll sit under it this afternoon. But uh, anyway, let's just get, I just need to air my dirty laundry there. But Luke 5, verse 16 says these words, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I just love that because we don't know exactly what it would have looked like, but we can imagine, right? And we can imagine really simply by zooming in on the three major words that Luke uses in this gospel to describe Jesus' prayer life. First, Jesus withdrew. In other words, Jesus had a habit of leaving the normal noise and distraction and decay and chaos and beauty and goodness of life to get alone with God. He knew it. He withdrew. Or in other words, to use just a a different word, he went away. He retreated. Now, not because he was a monk and he wanted to sort of cloister himself off from the world and create a Jesus Christian ghetto so no one would talk to him and he wouldn't be distracted. No. He withdrew with a purpose, to pray, so that one day he'd re-engage with the life of God that God had ministered into him. He withdrew. Secondly, it was into what Luke translates as the solitary place. But other translations of this could be the quiet place or the secret place. Or Luke actually uses for this quiet place, secret place, whatever, he uses this same word here that he used to describe the place to which Jesus went to the beginning of the Gospels to deal with Satan, the desert. It's the Eremos. And the Eremos in the Jewish imagination in the storyline of the Bible is the place where people go to deal with God. Think about it. Old Testament. God calls a particular family Abraham. And where do they go? Into the desert, traveling to a new place by faith. He calls Moses. And where does Moses take his people? Into the wilderness to fight with God, to battle with God, to become the kind of people that God destined them to be. That God could only do something in the secret place, in the quiet place, in the desert, that was otherwise unavailable to the people of God that there's something special about the Eremos. Third, frequently, he, he retreated from the normal to get alone with God, and he made that the new normal. And that's the rhythm of Jesus. Nothing groundbreaking, hopefully not rocket science, but man, if anyone needed to avoid that, it's the Son of God, but he didn't. Why? Because Jesus knew that there was something available to him in secret with God, that would otherwise be unavailable to him. Henry Nouwen puts it like this. He says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and listen to him. I don't know if you know this, but 
it's nine times in Luke's gospel that Jesus is described as getting away with God to pray, nine times. And some people in commenta- like giving commentary on this think that the frequency increases the more Jesus lives his life. So you follow the storyline of the gospels which begin with the birth of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the demonstration of the kingdom-like nature of Jesus, and then the confession of the disciples who say, hey, you're a king, but the kind of king that you're gonna be is actually very different to what we expected. You're gonna climax your ministry in the death on a cross. How does Jesus become the person that God has intended him to become? You map out that storyline with the increased frequency of Jesus' prayer life and you've got your answer. Jesus knew the importance of getting away with God. And here's the question, do we? He knew the importance of getting away with God, do we? Jesus knew the importance of being alone with God, do we? Jesus knew the beauty and the life and the vitality and the power of getting away with God and Man, do we? I know I don't always, right? But I see the life of Jesus, and I see the witness of spiritual masters in the way of Jesus, or people that I've respected from church history, and I think, man, you know something that I don't, and I reckon it was their prayer life. Martin Luther, when he was, um, he wrote a bunch of stuff. Gosh, that's a terrible description of Martin Luther. (laughs) Church reformer, he basically set up the Germany we know today, right? And he translated the Bible, putting the word of God from the elite intellectuals into the hands of everyday people so everyone could feast on the bread that is daily for us. And he said, if my day is busy, I don't pray less. I set aside more time in the morning because it's too important. A more recent writer said something like this. They said, uh, they titled their book um, uh, something like, Too Busy Not to Pray. And just painted this picture that what should be fundamental or assumed in the life of a Christian is that regardless of how busy we are or relaxed we are, whether we've got margin in our calendar or man, life is hectic, we are invited to get alone with God as a normal rhythm. And in that place, can you imagine? In that place, could you imagine what might be possible? A really helpful definition for silence and solitude would be this, silence, and solitude, like it does what it says on the tin. Now we'll get really practical towards the end of this time, but we're really just talking about being quiet, removing ourselves from distraction, and in removing ourselves from distraction, experiencing a a solitary place. And commentators on this stuff, they make two distinctions between the internal and the external. External silence and solitude is just like, all right, cool, I just need to bracket out 10 minutes as I start my morning. If you're a parent, like, we'll, maybe we'll just lay hands on you later because that's into, like, probably impossible, right? But bracket out 10 minutes in my morning and just before I look at my phone, just me and God, you know? Or it might be um, you've got finances available to you and you think, man, it's just been a long time that I've been running, reacting to all the stuff in my life, sort of just going from one thing to the next. And so you just carve out time in your calendar and you get away for a day, like a whole day. You don't have to spend that whole day on your knees. Man, arthritis is a real thing. But you just carve out time. Carve out time in your calendar and say, God, this is yours. And have an afternoon nap, you know? That's where God is, right on the bed. That sounds wonderful. But that's what you do, external. But internal, internal's a bit different. It's when maybe there's a moment where you've so, so intentionally organized your life after the way of Jesus that what began as practices actually turn into internal predispositions. 
and the quiet and the solitude and the rest and lack of noise that you try and carve out externally through practices and rhythms and what have you, actually turn into this new center in the heart. The image I used just before, I actually stole from a writer named Ruth Haley Barton. She describes her journey through depression and anxiety. And she said when she first started entertaining this practice, silence and solitude, the image that her spiritual director gave to her was that she was like a, a shook up glass of river water. And I felt some ums in the room as I named that image. Maybe you've walked in here this afternoon as a shaken up glass of river water. Or maybe you wake up each day with a to-do list in your head and you feel like a shaken up glass of river water. Murky, brown, you wouldn't drink it. You know what I'm saying? But through a practice, modeled by Jesus, met by the Spirit, working out the salvation that God by grace has worked in, being intentional as we become the disciples God calls us to be, not settling for conversion, mental assent to ideas, but actually posturing ourselves to become like the one we follow. God takes the murk and the dust and the mud and he just settles it. And as Jesus said to the lady at the well, we become full of the living water for ourselves, for God, and for the world. That's the invitation. They're Jesus' rhythms. What's our need? Our need of it is threefold because I think it does three things. It fights distraction. Here's my Baptist sermon. You ready? It helps us face reality. And three, there's the third finger, it helps us find God. Now, some of these are controversial, but just walk with me here as we unpack the scriptures and think through commentary from writers throughout history. Fight distraction. Here's what I'm convinced of. I am convinced, not merely as like an armchair intellectual, not merely as a pastor, but just as someone who's had genuine conversations with real people on the street, I'm convinced that one of the reasons our world is becoming more secular is not because there's been this new argument against God's existence in the philosophical academic world. It's not because someone's brought some evidence against the historical Jesus. It's not because people, as they might, disagree with the morality framework of the Christian worldview. I don't think that's why our world's becoming more secular. I think our world's becoming more secular, easily so, because it's permeated by digital interruption and distraction. That there's all these moments of quiet that we might have had without a phone in our pocket that would otherwise become like invitations from God to be present to ourselves and the moment and to Him that have just been overtaken with this little notification thing in my pocket that nudges me in the world of anxiety and distraction and sometimes depression and comparison. And I think that is one of the key reasons we are distracting ourselves into oblivion. Um, just some phone use stats for you. If you thought you escaped Alex preaching on phone use, you were sorely mistaken. Here we go. The average Aussie spends seven hours per day surfing the net. The average user will tap, swipe, and click their phone 2,617 times a day. That one I'm a bit sus on. You know what I mean? I think it's more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> one survey by Vodafone revealed that 45% of their customers say that they cannot live without a mobile phone. I am. Um, one of the things that I think this does to us is it does two things to do with boredom. Remember the experience of being bored? Some of you actually might not, but like, some of us will. 
And I was on holiday a week and a half ago, and I was on the beach, and I just finished reading a book. And um, it was The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Shout out to Drew Williams. You're welcome. And we talked about it in a small group. Um, and I put it down, and I didn't want to read another book. This sounds so consumeristic of me. Just listen. Follow me here. I put, put it down, didn't want to read another book. And I remember thinking, ah, I don't know what to do. And I looked at Kath. She was listening to a podcast, and I was like... Do I jump in the water? No, I don't feel like getting wet. Do I lay in the sun? No, I don't want to get tanned. Do I have a nap? No, I'm not feeling tired. I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm bored. And I was grossly offended at it. I was like, this sucks. I haven't experienced this in years. I was like, where's my PlayStation? You know what I'm saying? And I was like, this is just a foreign concept to me. And we live in a moment right now, right? And you would feel this, where actually it's quite impossible, you know, to get bored. But here's what this does. If you live in a digital world where every aching pain, every moment of quiet is interrupted by the digital Twitter sphere that we call the, the phone in our pocket, then actually you trade this boredom over here in life generally as concerns your hobbies and the, you know, blah, 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 for a different kind of boredom, much more serious boredom. And that boredom, I'd say, is boredom with our faith. Ever been bored with your faith? God, is this all there is? I thought it'd be more exciting than this. I thought I'd have dealt with that by now and changed and known the power of your spirit in this particular area of my life. And you get bored. I've been bored before with my faith. Maybe you have. And unless we think about how this practice, in fact, not just forget the practice, step back to it, to the invitation of Jesus himself to do life with him. That's really what we're talking about. That's more acutely expressed in getting away with him intentionally, but that begets the kind of life where all of it's just me and Jesus in the world God's put me for the sake of the people and friends that he's put me around. We're talking about being with him. And when you are with God in the mundane and the miraculous, in the boring and the powerful, man, you're not bored with faith. You're not bored with Jesus. That changes you. We need to fight distraction. Silence and solitude will help us do it. The invitation of this practice is to rhythmically find a time of stillness in your day, in your week, in your month, in your year, which gives way to a life of stillness, a new center for yourself. We need to fight distraction, silence and solitude will help us do it. The second thing it'll help us do is face reality. People think of silence and solitude as like an introversion, spiritualized justification for just having me time. But when you look at the life of Jesus, you don't see him jumping into a bath to have a spa day. You don't see him just using it as an excuse to scroll through his phone. I know that's not historically even accurate, but Jesus didn't Use me time. I don't, that's a really interesting thought experiment. Would Jesus have me time? It's not the point of the sermon. That's just distracting me at the moment. <laughs> Jesus had me and God time. Right. Now, me time's great. Like, my wife loves a spa day. Let's just forget about it. But, In getting alone with God, Jesus wasn't using it as an excuse just to avoid the people God had called him to, just to indulge his hobbies. He was using it actually to face something. Now in the Gospels, it's the devil. 
he goes to the Ramos, Luke 4, Matthew 4, sort of the, the end of the sort of birth narrative of Jesus. This is the point, the hinge between the birth of the glorious king and the ministry of the glorious king. And he does battle with the devil in the wilderness, in the Aramos, in the silence and solitude. And I think this paints a picture for us about what might happen when you enter into this space. You're not entering into the kind of space I'm talking about with this assumption that it's gonna be domesticated and quiet and tranquil. I mean, that would be nice, and that sometimes does happen in my experience. Beautiful. Just meet with God by the Spirit. Wonderful. But actually, you might start doing business. And that's a scary thing. The biggest thing I've faced as I've entertained this practice in my life has been myself. And I said at the start that this has brought, like, poured fuel on the fire of my walk with Jesus. But let me just talk to you about the struggle of it. When you step into silence and solitude, you're actually saying to God, there are so many things that I use to distract myself from you, and now I'm putting them aside just to be laid bare before you. And the question I've got every time I enter into this kind of space, whether intentionally as a rhythm or just in life as I think about myself before God, I'm just like, man, what's God gonna think of me? Like, pause for a moment. Jesus has set the table. He invites you to sit with him. You've got uninterrupted time. How do you feel? I squirm. Because I know I get distracted. I know my thought life's not perfect. And I say this as a pastor. You know, I know I'm not the man that I want to be. I'm becoming, and by the grace of God, the spirit of Jesus, man, is it helpful. But goodness me, I'm not where I want to be. And the whole question I've got is, will God accept me as I am? And we so easily just use a whole host of things to sort of smokescreen God from us, sort of putting an intermediary between us and the presence of God. Uh, I've shared my story before at New Life, but years ago I was doing my Bible in one year reading plan. And I got to this point where I was just reading it for the sake of it, just ticking it off. Some of you think, well, Alex, you did the Bible in one year reading plan. That's amazing. I'm just like, thank you very much. A little kudos to me. Really appreciate that. <laughs> Can you strava spiritual goals? Good question. And, but there was just this moment where, and honestly, it was through the voice of my wife. She's just like, hey, what are you getting out of scripture? And I was like, oh, a good sermon point. <laughs> Truly. And just Jesus is right there. I want your heart, Alex. I want your imagination. I want your time. I don't want you to just learn new things about me as informative and fundamental as doctrine and scripture are. You can't live with the Christian life without the word of God being the authority in life and practice, but it became a tick box for me. I used it as something to distract myself from God, not actually meet with God. And you know what changed that for me? Before opening the word, just sitting there. God, I'm here and you're here. Speak to me today. I'm here and you're here, speak to me today. And that prayer and that rhythm and that ingest of life and outgest of breath just changed into silence. And all of a sudden my fears that God wouldn't accept me, actually I'd rhythmically proven wrong. Because God was right there and he's always right there. Parker Palmer put it like this, solitude eventually offers a quiet gift of grace a gift that comes whenever we're able to face ourselves honestly, 
the gift of acceptance, of compassion for who we are as we are. As we allow ourselves to be known in solitude, we discover that we are known by love. Beyond the pain of self-discovery, there is a love that does not condemn us but calls us to itself. This love receives us as we are. Did you know that this practice, in fact, the very invitation of Jesus will receive you as you are? Make no mistake, you'll be changed. I am being changed. God's got a vision of our life modeled in Jesus, commanded by the Apostle Paul, narrated in the Scriptures. You will change but if you try and change without being met as you are by the loving gaze of God, it'll be fabricated, manufactured, and it won't last. Helps us fight distraction, face reality, and lastly, find God. Ruth Haley Barton says this. She's got a wonderful book, by the way, Invitation to Silence and Solitude. And it's a meditation on this passage I'm about to read. After her quote. She says this, we are starved for mystery. To know this God as the one who is totally other and to experience reverence in his presence. We're starved for intimacy, to see and feel and know God in the very cells of our being. Does anyone relate to this? We are starved for rest, to know God beyond what we can do for him. I relate to that one. And we are starved for quiet, to hear the sound of sheer silence that is the very presence of God himself. And here's one of the hard truths of the Christian life that I've discovered. That even doing good, godly things, as I shared with my testimony just before, itself can become a distraction from the naked and piercing love that God has for us as we are. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Don't read this. Here's what I'm not saying. Don't engage in Christian community. Here's what I'm not saying. Don't sing worship as you come to Christian community on Sunday. I'm not saying discard the good godly things. I'm noting the nuance with which we can find ourselves one year, five years, 10 years into following Jesus and realize that we've traded the presence and intimacy and relationship with God for just practices that distract us from really engaging who we are and who he is. Have you felt this before? This has been one of the banes of my existence and I just wish the spirit of God would download something fresh for his people because he's got so much more for us in relationship with him. Here's the passage, 1 Kings 19, verse 11 to 13. The prophet Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, he's just done business with the other prophets from other nations, trying to prove who's God's bigger and better and more powerful. Yahweh wins, the God of the Old Testament, the one that we know revealed in Jesus. He wins, good news. But he's spent, he's spent of himself and he's ministered on behalf of God. So he goes away to rest and he finds himself in the same place that Jesus found himself in. Not the exact same one, but the Eremos, the desert. And he's hoping to meet with God because legend has it that the hill that he ascended to try and meet with God is the same hill that Yahweh gave Moses the Old Testament covenant on. God had been there before. Maybe if I go to him, he'll do it again. And God says, I'll reveal myself to you. And he's got this wonderful little passage. You'll know this passage. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence by the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Or in the King James Version, eat your heart out, says still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Where do you look for God? 
my testimony, the way of Jesus. The infomercials from church history, master rabbis that are followed in the way of Jesus. It's all this, that there is something for you in silence and solitude. Now, if I was to prescribe a practice, that would be on one level helpful, but also deeply unhelpful. Because what we're talking about here is something modeled by Jesus, that as we think about how it affects our lives, we actually get to take our personality, our schedules, our time, and carve out something within which God can meet us in stillness. That's really what we're talking about here. So maybe you're sitting here and you're like, hey, I just gave birth, bro, and my baby might one day have a good singing voice, but not right now, and that voice wakes me up at 4 a.m. Okay, I think there's an invitation still within this for silence and solitude. Or you might be a shift worker. I'm now just looking around the room, right? You might be a shift worker. And you're like, I have no idea what this practice looks like for me in my life because all the early hour mornings that Jesus went up the mountainside, they're taken because I'm in the studio, you know? You you might, whatever your story is, I've stopped looking around the room. Um, Whatever your story is, there's an invitation here to get practical. But here's two categories I'd give you as you think about this for your life. Time and space, that's it, right? Time and space. Not all of us have the finances or the, you know, economic stability to cultivate a space. Um, But if you do, dedicate a place in your house or your apartment. Maybe it's a particular chair in the living room that you know that when you sit there, that's me and God time. You know, Susanna Wesley, the father of John Wesley, she used to, when she was like taking after the boys, she had like literally double digits amount of kids in her house. That the boys knew that if she had her apron over her head, mum was in her secret place. Sounds ridiculous, I know, but that was the practice that she had. And she's good with boundaries. She's like, hey kids, this is it. Head, you know, head under the apron. This is me and God time. She cultivated a place. But God's key architecture, if I'm honest, I think is time. And God would invite each of us just to set aside time. Is it an hour in the day? Is it 10 minutes in the morning? Is it a day a month? What is it? And to articulate that for yourself, maybe even write it down in the rule of life booklet that you'll again find in the foyer. And just say, hey, I'm I'm gonna apprentice under this sort of intentionality. And I'm just gonna review it in three months. Is this, am I meeting with God? Is this working? If not, see you later, doesn't, that's fine. If yes, imagine time and place. Here's three practices. I'll go through this really quickly and then I'm going to invite us into a practice myself. One, if you haven't heard of this, it's called the Lectio 365 app. And I was told by friends literally for like the last year, hey, you should get this app on your phone. And I was just like, nah, I've got my rhythm. No worries. I got it sorted. I can meet with God in my own way. But I downloaded this app this week. And man, it's just awesome. Type in Lectio 365 on the app store And it's just, uh, I was meant to have some screenshots um, for you there, but basically, it's an app, and on it, they've got 10-minute guided meditations, morning and night. The key ingredient is that those meditations are on the Scriptures, and you just walk through the Psalms or the story of Jesus, and it just invites you to pause, rejoice, ask, and yield as you think through how the life of Jesus intersects your life for that day, Lectio 365. You can also scan the QR code in the foyer and it'll take you to a link where you can download it there as well, Lectio 365. Second, scripture meditation. One of my favorite scriptures, I just want to read it to us really briefly, is Psalm 139 verses 7 to 8, when the preacher's not bookmarked their scripture. I love this psalm, 7 to 8. Just listen to this. And as you listen to this, imagine, 
imagine you're there and you've made your morning coffee. And your task right now is not to move too quick. It's not to graduate. It's to maybe listen to the psalm and then read the psalm aloud to yourself. And then maybe you take the psalm and you start trying to paraphrase it, put it in your own words. And then maybe just in prayer with God, you start, you know, getting a bit creative with it. And you start to unpack kind of what I'm doing now with the scriptures, pulling out what God's really saying and applying it to your heart. Here's the psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. God, is there anywhere I can go where your spirit's not? Is there anywhere that I can go, God, today with my thought life where your presence might not go with me? God, when I'm on cloud nine, you're there and I don't always acknowledge it. When life's really tough, when it feels like Hades, you're there. Sorry, God, that I'm so easily distracted and fail to see that you're there. Help me be here. Lord, help me be here today for you. Only you, Jesus. Like Mary at your feet while Martha was in the kitchen, help me be here for you. I wanna know you, I wanna feel you. I wanna grow deep in you. I don't wanna settle. I don't wanna get bored. I don't wanna play Christian. Help me be here for you, Lord. Lord, help me be here for my spouse today. What do they need from you? What do they need from you and your presence in and through me for them? Is there something of your love, something of your kindness, something of your calm that I can minister to them on your behalf today? God, help me be here for my colleagues today. Man, they need you. Thank you that you're at work today, God. And slowly but surely, you take the hymn book of the ancient Israelite people and man, God starts just giving you language for it. Maybe you can meditate on a psalm this week. Last one is breath prayer. This is the thing that really changed my prayer life with God. Not because it's magical. Sometimes I think it is. Because breath is so fundamental to being human. All of us are breathing right now. And I thought we might just open up a time where we can do breath prayer together. Does that sound okay? It's silent, or mostly silent. Breath prayer is the act of reciting a word as you breathe in and saying something out as you breathe out. Here's some words from Jesus. Our Father in heaven, in. Hallowed be your name, out. Some words from Augustine. My God, in, and my all, out. 
the phrase that God's unlocked something through in my life, I think I took it from Ruth Haley Barton, but it's just these words, I'm here and you are here. I'm here and you are here. And so what I thought we might do is the band's gonna come and play when we're ready, actually, as a congregation. And I'm just gonna lead us and I'll try and get my voice to drown out as we do so. And just as we breathe in, we're gonna say to God under our own breath, I'm here. And we're gonna say out to God under our own breath, and you are here. And as we do that, we'll meet with God. As we say those words, we'll be with Jesus. And the Spirit will minister something to our hearts that would otherwise be unavailable to us silence and solitude, time with God. When you're done with that, I just want to invite you where you are to stand. And when we've got a critical mass in the room, we'll just jump into worship and we'll sing songs and we'll take the breath and the prayer and the silence and solitude and let it well up into praise alongside brothers and sisters. So get comfortable right now where you are. I'm going to step off the platform. I'm going to turn my microphone off. And I'll just say quietly, in, I'm here, and you are here. We'll do that together. key here is not to move too quick. You might get distracted. That's fine. If this breath prayer turns into you just sitting still with God, maybe for the first time in a long while, then just let the God of love who sent his son be with you where you are. And whenever you're ready, just stand and we'll respond to God in worship. Thanks again for listening to the New Life 
podcast. Hey, if that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer for anything from one of our team, you can contact us at hello at church.nu or you can reach out to us on our Instagram or our Facebook page. Pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.